Welcome to the Salon Owners Collective Podcast. Each week on the podcast, you'll hear stories and tactics from experts and influencers who will provide you with actionable steps to transform your business and your life. I'm your host, Larissa McClemon, and I help salon owners move from stress and overwhelm to lead a life of freedom and profit by implementing a strategic framework to grow and scale their business. So wherever you are in the world, I want to officially invite you to join me in this episode and make an important step in your journey towards more freedom and more profit. Hey, thanks for joining me on the Salon Owners Collective Podcast. Now, even though so many salons right now are either closed, maybe working minimal hours or just planning still to reopen, there are more conversations going on within the hair and beauty industry itself than ever. With so many different opinions flying around, some controversy surrounding the times that we're facing. Uh, And one thing that's for sure is that we're all experiencing this quite differently. Now, in this episode, I'm chatting with Adam. Now, Adam is a multi-award winning Australian hairstylist, YouTuber, educator, and director at Axis Hairdressing. And I really enjoyed my chat with him today as he shares his thoughts and his story on how to succeed within the hair and beauty industry and the importance of remaining grounded. We chat candidly about COVID-19 and Adam shares his story on how he and his business have been affected. It's a great listen. Uh, If you haven't met Adam already, uh, you'll love him. So let's dive in. Adam, hey, thank you for joining me on the Salon Owners Collective Podcast. Really pleased to have you here. Thanks for having me. Or is it our wrist, Mac? Thanks for having me. (laughs) Anytime. Hey, um, why don't we start with uh, where are you in the world? Uh, What do you do? How did you get to be doing what you're doing? Sure. Um, I uh, live in a a place called Canberra in Australia. Canberra's uh, Australia's capital city, even though most think it's Sydney. Um, and uh, I've lived here essentially my whole life. I was born here. Um, I've uh, moved away briefly to Sydney to do some work at uh, various times. I've worked in LA and uh, worked in New York and the UK and Italy, but uh, Canberra's home. So um, I ended up back here. Um, I started hairdressing in uh, 1998. Actually, sorry, I started working in the salon in 1998. Um, as a salon receptionist actually and a salon coordinator because I was at school studying um, uh, a bridging course uh, in bookkeeping because I wanted to actually go and do a finance degree. Before that I actually tried to get into the army but I, I didn't get in because I actually am almost medically deaf in one of my years which I didn't know until I went to the medical. Um, so yeah, then I started working in the salon in, in 98 um, while I was working uh, there I fell in love with hairdressing, um, decided that I wasn't going to pursue my university and um, in the August of 99, I officially uh, decided to become a hairdresser. I signed up for the uh, training the following year and I guess I started my apprenticeship early 2000. So I started late. I was actually 21 years old. Um, I spent the best part of the first, would have been 13, 14 years just working in a salon. So uh, working on um, building clientele, all that, and then I started to embark on a YouTube journey in 2011, which uh, most people or most hairdressers around the world would probably, um, if they um, did know who I was, that's probably how they heard of me, was via YouTube, uh, something that started actually by mistake. Uh, I've said many times I actually used YouTube as a storage device. After coming back from Sassoon <laughs> one year, I actually, um, um, I was doing a training and I just um, 
ran out of um, space on my iPhone. And I was going to show some of the stuff we couldn't make it that day, some of the techniques I learned. So I just uploaded it to YouTube and so I could then let my phone keep going. And then the next day I woke up and people were really engaging. And I, and I, and I realized that there was a, a deep necessity um, and, and, and a really big need. And I still believe it's even more so today for education for those who are far less fortunate than you and I and most of the people who are listening to this um, that live in remote parts of the world where they can't actually access education or they don't have the funds. Um, and you know, that's what Aftermath's about. We'll probably get into that a little bit later. Um, so then uh, I started doing that and, and I found myself uh, having a really strong clientele here in Canberra and, and it afforded me a great living, something I feel very privileged and very uh, grateful for. Um, and then it sort of got to a point where I was starting to build this reputation, but it seemed to be uh, uh, within Australia, YouTube was pretty much unknown back then. And, and the only sort of way you could establish yourself as somebody who could lead and someone who could like uh, have a voice that would be listened to so that you could give back was through uh, hairdressing award platforms. So um, I was told by someone, oh, you know, you've got a great business, you've got lots of clients and a great YouTube channel, but you've never won an award. So it's going to be very hard for you to, to get people's attention in Australia unless you do that. And I thought, oh, okay. So in um, 2011, I did my first ever photo shoot and entered it into the AHFA's Australian Hair Fashion Awards in 2012 in the New South Wales Hairdresser of the Year and I won. So I was like, First time I entered, I win. I think it was actually, um, I, I think I was a little bit fortunate that year. There might have, um, I think sometimes you can just do something and it just all comes together one day. But then, you know, I've gone on to, to win that now twice. It's the first time only ever someone from Canberra has been able to do that because Canberra is, is the ACT. It's its own territory, but it's inside New South Wales. So we don't get our own category. We have to compete with the biggest pool, which is New South Wales. Obviously, Sydney's there. So it's very difficult. So that's something I'm actually very proud of to have won that twice because it's for me, it's actually harder to win that than Australian Hedrosity, in my opinion, because the pool's much smaller to win Australian Hedrosity. Although you're competing against the best of the best, you're competing against far less. So I continued to do that, and um, I'm fortunate now to have um, been nominated for, for Hedrosity two years in a row now. Um, and this year, I actually got nominated for Australian Colourist of the Year as well, which is, that's interesting, because someone said to me, you can't colour here, can you? And I was like, <laughs> this flashback to no one knows you unless you win awards. I'm like, okay, so I need to do a color uh, entry. So I did that and I was like, I think I won the lotto there by making the finals. But um, yeah, so i started out uh, from sort of simple means and just really uh, having a passion for doing great hair and, and then started to evolve into, um, you know, doing stuff outside of the salon much, much later. So it was probably 13 or 14 years later. Then, um, I've been very fortunate to work for uh, Matrix over the last few years. Uh, they've given me an amazing platform to share and to help people grow. And um, I'm very grateful to for everyone at Matrix in Australia and New Zealand uh, for helping me with that. Um, and I still find myself today uh, loving what I do the most. And I'm here in my salon at the moment and by myself today. It's Monday, so we're not open. Oh, it's just Tuesday today. We'll just talk about why we're not open today <laughs> later. Um, but I'm here to do some training a little bit later on. So. Yeah, I guess that's, that sort of sums up what I do. I mean, I, I'm still um, working in the salon with my team most days and I find myself people and get to your point, like what is it you actually do? I think I'm a video creator, hairdresser and an educator. So um, pretty much creating YouTube content is 50% of my job, but most importantly, um, I'm, a, I'm a husband and father. They're the things that come first. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, great. And I do want to come back to your current project, uh, Aftermath, uh, but I want to just sort of zone in on uh, the business for a moment. 
and just talk a little bit like what does that look like who is inside of your business but uh, I guess from an angle of what builds a successful business um, I mean we are in the industry of uh, we are the industry of humans like we we think we do hair but actually we employ humans and we serve humans and so culture becomes this very important piece so talk to me a little bit about the culture in your business what does it look like what 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 drives the business well, I think that the, the, the my beginnings actually is sort of the foundation of, of our culture. So my former business partner was very adamant about not allowing things outside of the salon to distract us until you're at a point where you were well established, you could do that. So I think for young hairdressers, we inadvertently made sort of, and it's I don't think it's a bad thing. There's so many ways you can make a career in hairdressing, but specifically with the salon, I think that, young hairdressers sometimes look beyond salon life and think this is just the beginning. Like I don't want to end up here, but yeah, always end up back here. And you realize that for the reasons you said, like the most beautiful thing about what we do is the connection relationship with humans. And that's as you're getting older, what you realize is when I started cutting hair at 20, I was doing 20 year olds and now they're all 40 like me. And so the 20 year olds don't want me to cut their hair anymore. So, so it's like you're reconnecting with those people again. So, Salon culture for me is about um, making sure hairdressers understand that if you don't want to serve a customer, if you think service is beyond you, then this is probably not for you. Um, and I especially see it in other parts of the world. I don't think Australia is as bad, but in other parts of the world, you actually feel like as a client that you're privileged to be in someone's chair. And that's something that I, I it's never sat well with me. It's, I have been fortunate, something I missed out in telling you guys at the beginning, because I don't often tell people, it's not something I publicize, but two or three times a year, I actually go to North America. I've established myself a quite a strong clientele there. And I have, I have high net wealth individuals that fly to see me from other parts of the country on their own planes. And I have people who come and see me also, whose kids all chip in 50 bucks to pay for their $500 haircut. Treat them exactly the same. Like I'm there to serve the customer. I do, I do their shampoos, you know, I cut their hair, I blow dry their hair, no one touches them but me. And that's, I think the most important foundation of building salon culture is you have to, you have to actually enjoy making people feel good. And if you don't enjoy play, making people feel good, it's very hard to build any, any, any culture. So I try and show my staff that there's great satisfaction in, in building a, a clientele based on people come here and they leave feeling better and their hair is just a consequence of coming here because I say to the guys you can't impress people with good hair they expect that where you impress them is how you make them feel how you treat them in the service because the end goal for me is as I've mentioned you know I thought that I had to win awards to become established and and to develop a profile but the reality is the skill of a hairdresser is best judged by the size of their clientele. If you win awards and I can call you and get an appointment next week, you know, maybe there's something missing. If you call me and you can get an appointment before September, I'll be surprised. And I'm not bragging, but I make myself available. I, I'm like, oh, well, I get up at 5.15 and go to the gym. I may as well be at work by nine. And I do someone every 45 minutes till eight o'clock at night. I'm up, I may as well do it and I enjoy it. Now, as I'm getting older, I can't work like that every day because I've got other things going on and my daughter's at an age where she needs dad around a lot more. So my family's a priority, but 
you have to really be there for your client. Because what I also say as part of the cultural thing is, you know, like, oh, do I really have to fit her in? I said, well, the person you squeeze in today or you come in early for or stay back late for today fills that hole you have in six weeks' time. So if you want to go back to work-life balance, how you find balance is by making great sacrifice in the salon in the early years to be able to achieve and build balance in your later years. You can't have it from the beginning. You just can't. The only way to get ahead in salon life is to work your face off. You've got to work your face off. You've got to be there for your customer. And I remember when I was first starting, um, we used to have, um, obviously people would call, but now we only do by appointment. But back then we actually had, um, our receptionist would come in and say, oh, I've got someone who wants a haircut. Um, um, I'll do it. I was always the one, I'll do it, I'll fit it in. Oh, how are you going to fit in? Just tell them, I'll go, just ask this one to come a bit earlier. Tell her to come a bit later, I'll do it there. And what I found was, is by being there for people, they were being there for me. So I found that that was the, the way that when I took over the salon when my former business partner um, retired, although many things we never saw eye to eye on. The one thing I did was is, I don't believe the customer always is always right, but the customer is always, is always um, the person who has priority. So they're not privileged to be here. You're privileged to have someone sitting in your chair that trusts you, who's happy to give you their money. So from that, I think that if you have a in selling culture that builds a foundation of, the customers are the number one priority in here. And I'm not saying that you allow customers to bully your staff around and, you know, you know, that's a whole separate thing, but it's like, I want to be here to fit my customers in all the time. And I don't have time to do anything for the first eight years of my career, except build a clientele in a salon that treats me well and pays me what I'm worth. And from there, everything and anything can be achieved. And I'm, and I'm an example of that. I had, I had no skills. I had no prerequisite. I was going to study macro microeconomics. And I used to like Mazda rotary cars, which I actually still do. So I was a hoon and a bit of a, a math head at the same time. And I've, I found through um, sacrifice, hard work and practice and putting the client first, I was able to build an amazing career. And then I took that and that was what I, I built my salon on. Salon culture comes from great customer service. Yeah, I love that. And I really loved a couple of key things you said. One was that you've got to do the hard yards now, sacrifice now, so you can have the work-life balance. And I think you're right. I, I think it's something, you know, um, thanks to social media and visibility, we see people's success or their life now, and we forget that it's their chapter eight and we're at chapter two. And we want this. And then it's about connecting the dots. I mean, I see this with my son, he's 13. He wants overnight success and to be rich tomorrow at 13, God forbid. Um, so my job is kind if of- he's a, If he's got a mum that loves him, food on this table and a roof over his head, he is rich. <laughs> true, true, <laughs> I like this. But you know, it's kind of about filling in the blanks, the gap between A to B and recognizing that, you know, all these people that he's seeing on YouTube in various places, they've been at it for a while, but you don't see that. You know, you don't see the behind the scenes. More and more people are sharing behind the scenes, but yeah. we forget. Um, we need to put the hard yards in first so you can get the rewards. And I do 100%. love this. And I really liked uh, what, I guess, what we internally at Salon Owners Collective called a yes attitude. We say yes, even, even if it's, an, it's a no. It's, it's never a no. We don't have a no. We just say yes, but maybe we'll do it like this. And that's kind of what you're saying. It's like, let's, when we serve the people in that way, 
this is how we get to the destination that uh, that we're it, it the goal, is, right? It's so important. It's so important, Rhys, because if you're looking forward at the, and you see speaking about digital, like, um, and I'll say to any hairdresser that is is considering maybe that you know we're going through some hard times and hairdressing is not for them. I'd ask them to to exercise some restraints and patience and remember that almost everything in our world is becoming digital. There will come a time where people crave human interaction. And this is one of the very few things that they'll be able to do. And it's, it's, it's all based on that interaction. And like you said, it's putting them first, making them feel good about themselves. And we're in a unique position where you think, you know, like now when I take my car to get serviced, I don't get to see the guy who does it anymore. I only get to see the receptionist. Like there's so many things that have been, the, that, you know, I, I used to, my, my wife used to say to me, can you stop talking to the person on the checkout? Because it takes forever. Mm-hmm you know, when we go and buy our groceries. But now we go through the automated one. There isn't even a human there anymore. So I think that's why the, the human relationship is going to be so important to build, sell and cultures because that's going to be the thing that people are seeking in years to come because it's going to be far and few between in terms of businesses that you can actually get that interaction. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think actually now is the time to tune into this. You think about this sort of phase that we're in at the moment. We're recording this uh, right in the midst of this COVID-19 epidemic. And... Uh, one of the challenges that we've seen as an industry, as a hair industry specifically, is that uh, we're trying to convince our clients not to colour their hair in between. For those that are closed or like in New Zealand, we're in 100% lockdown. No salon can be open, hair or beauty or otherwise. And I went for a walk the other day and it was really obvious. Bless the people who were waiting for their stylist. You could see it visibly in the streets. People walking with their massive regrets. And I was like, oh, bless them for being so loyal. You know, someone's looking after them and they're waiting. But actually, um, a lot of clients are choosing to do the box dye, right? But what, so what's going to really make us stand out between how are we going to get clients back in? It's convenience for sure, but it's the human connection. It's the experience. It's the time that they have away from their other life and to, to be somewhere else. This is what makes us stand uh, out from everything else. Actually, if people do polls, what are they looking forward to when business comes back again? Coffee and, and the salon. Those are the two highest ranked things that we crave for. Oh, yeah, yeah, for that. sure. Yeah, the, this, <laughs> the human connection, right? And yeah, even going yeah. to the cafe and having good coffee, you know, it's a place that's social and we talk and we're social beings. Yeah, yeah. for Thanks. sure. Speaking of COVID, tell me a little bit about your experience in the sort of in the midst of this. What has it been like for you and your team? Well, I was, I was literally in the middle of it. On the 4th of March, I arrived in New York City. Um, I was there right. to do my clients. So I arrived there and, and caught up with two of my great friends, Alf, Alfredo Lewis and Philip Wolf from Matrix. Um, we was having um, dinner in a public uh, hotel and just on the Lower East Side there. And was everything was normal. I started doing my clients on the, the 5th and 6th and then... On the seventh, I started getting a couple of emails from from people who weren't in New York, but they were traveling to New York from other places. So I had a, a couple of people coming from Canada, I had a lady coming from Boston, I had a couple coming from Chicago, um, and they, they they started to cancel. Well, first it started being like, "Oh, are you still coming because of you know what's happening with COVID nineteen and or coronavirus?" However, they were putting it, and I'm like, "Well, I'm already here." Um, so like, "Oh, okay." Well, and then some of them still came, and then. A few of them actually started to cancel. <clears throat> and then um, I had a 10, I have 10, 11 hairdressers who I, I mentor all the time in New York. So I do education there, but 
I'm not I'm not doing it to sort of it's not like I'm I'm not making money out of it, so I'm not gonna for a minute suggest that I don't, but I cap it at, I just want to mentor the same people each time so that in four years' time when I'm done, I can look back and say, like, I've seen that person growth. And that might be selfish on my part because I actually want to see the result of what I give them rather than just having like I guess you could say for can't think of another way to describe it, but like one night stands with people. Like I don't want to just have one person come to a course and then not see them again. I want to actually see these people go on the journey. So um, six of them canceled. Just it's like, oh, you know, thinking what's going on? Because when I was in New York, like there was nothing going on. Like it was back then, it was nothing. And then <clears throat> the day that um, I had another, uh, and a couple of clients come from Connecticut. And then I had a lady um, come from Texas because she couldn't get in in LA. So she flew from Texas to, to New York. That's crazy. So that's like you flying from Wellington to, you know, Adelaide to have your hair done. That's, that's ridiculous. Um, and she was like saying, oh, I was, I was thinking about not coming because of coronavirus. And that's when I started to be like, man, what's going on? So I look on Facebook. People are like killing each other over toilet paper in Australia. Not literally, but... <laughs> and then... Um, I get uh, home because obviously I'm in the salon and I get home or to my hotel that night and the mayor of um, the governor of New York's declared a state of emergency. I'm like, Hmm, this is interesting. So the next day I had to go to um, Los Angeles. So I never seen JFK that quiet. He was dead. So I went to LA and um, when I arrived in LA, I had a guy who I, made friends with uh, Stefan, he's, he's like a professional driver, picks me up, he drives me to Huntington Beach. So it's actually just outside LA where I work. It's like in Orange County. And um, everything seemed normal and I and, uh, did a full book on, on the next day. And then on the, thir- on the 12th, I think it was, or the 13th, I went to uh, Hollywood to hang out with Ricky Zito, um, Hair God Zito from uh, Matrix. We did some YouTube content. Then afterwards, I went for a walk up uh, Sunset, just to WeHo to a cafe I like there on, on the corner of La Brea and um, Sunset. And I noticed these people lined up up La Brea and then down Sunset. And I looked, and it's not it's not unusual because someone might have been doing a book signing or someone might have been doing an appearance or something, and people like to have a photo with them, whatever. But then when I looked, it just said on the outside, gun store. And I was like, I wasn't expecting you to say that. And I was just like, huh? I was like, there's people lined up for guns and whatever. Anyway, so I go into the cafe and then my Wi-Fi connects and my emails start coming through. And then people were cancelling. And it wasn't now just people who were travelling. There's people in LA that are cancelling. And I'm like, what's going on? So I'm like, people buying guns. And so anyway, I get onto like the, the news, just a website. And then it starts to um, become quite obvious to me that by my own admission, I was someone who was playing a down gun. I don't think it's actually going to be that big a deal because... You know, I was, I'm still old enough to remember SARS and that was scary, but it was contained. But I think because we're so mm-hmm. transient now, that's why this has gone around the world so quick. And then I'm just sitting there, it dawned on me, I go, I've got to get out of here. I've got to go. So I literally called Stepan. I go, Stepan, come pick me up. He came pick me up, drove me back to hunting. The beach was about an hour and 20 minute drive from where I am. And um, <clears throat> I was trying to call my wife, but it was 4am in the morning here. So I just called American Express because... I book everything through them because we use them as our business partner in the salon. They were amazing. They didn't charge me any extra because they knew what was happening. So I was a bit naive to it. So they go, oh, yeah, you know, we've waived all the changing fees. We can get you out as soon as you can. So the earliest flight they could get me on was the, the evening of the 14th. So I got out of there. Um, and I was actually um, 
one of the, um, I was the first plane from North America that was required to mandatory 14 day isolate. So I got home, I had to go straight from the airport straight to my house and I stayed there. So I was sort of stuck at home, not being able to come in and help my team when this is actually starting to get bad. And I, I, felt, I felt absolutely helpless, but luckily my business partners are my wife and my sister. Um, and they were obviously here, they've been able to, to handle it. And the team were just fantastic. My team was just like, they stepped up and just did all my clients. Cause I, I had 80 clients that were booked in with me before when I got home, they all had to be reaccommodated with other people. Then um, in Australia, unlike you guys, we sort of, and I'm not looking for sympathy from anyone because I'm not like that, but I think we, we got a little bit of a hard deal and I think it sort of confused a lot of us and it actually hurt a lot of businesses out there because the government had- it. It was a mess. It was. The, the, and look, I don't want to... It was, it was. You know, like, you know, <laughs> first, first you had two state premiers and our chief minister come out and say everything's being shut, just like your prime minister did. Then eight hours later in a national cabinet meeting, the prime minister said, well, no, you're not doing that because, you know, I'm the boss and if you're going to do it, it means you're going to pay for it. So they obviously went, oh, we can't afford to pay for it, so we better do what you say. But it was too late. There was eight hours in the day where businesses were preparing yeah. for shutdown. So my sister must have canceled hundreds of appointments. Then for him just to say, no, I'm like, I'm not Nicole, we're open again. She's like, what the? It's like, yeah, but only like, for 30 open. minutes. Yeah, no, no, that was, that was three days later. Oh, hell. Then three days later, they brought that in. And then 12 hours later, they, they took, took it out. And obviously they brought in measures. So that, that's actually the only thing that really hurt us in terms yeah. of operationally. Now people, People have their have chose to close and people chose to stay open and yep. people need to, provided that they're being professional and operating the law, I don't have any issues with people's choices. <clears throat> and um, we chose to stay open because we're very lucky that we actually have a big salon. We more than easily adhere to the spacing measures and sanitary measures and everything else we're required to do by the government. So business has been um, affected in terms of older people who don't feel safe have stopped coming. Yep. Um, we didn't see a huge downturn in April. We didn't qualify for the benefit from the government, which is a good thing. I don't want my staff to go on welfare. Um, but what we did have to do is go to three and a half days a week. So we had to reduce our salon hours, which means that the staff were only disadvantaged around about $30 a week or something. And with their commissions or something, we just made an adjustment and they're, and they're, they're no worse off. So now I don't know how I'm going to bring that fourth day back in because they're probably like, hey, we're working three and a half days a week and it's the same. But um, look, just yesterday we had someone from ACC Health come in. They're doing inspections on salons here. So it's not like you could just operate free. He came in with a tape measure, measured, he wrote things down and gratefully we passed with flying colours so much. So he's actually going to take some of what we do back to ACT Health and make some recommendations based on what we're doing here. So look, for me, it's like, it was really simple decision for me to make. I'm not a medical expert. I have a couple of friends who are very successful doctors and physicians. I called them and spoke to them and I didn't want their opinion. I said, don't tell me what I want to know as a, as a mate. I want you to tell me how it is. And then I listened to the two people who are going to be responsible and that's the prime minister and the chief medical officer, because what I said to my staff and they were scared and rightly so, is I said, don't think for a minute that they've just pulled names out of a hat and they've left parts of the economy open. They've done so based on scientific and medical data and evidence that when they're not going to tell us and they're not going to give us a justification because they don't really have time at the moment. However, Australia has some of the most stringent occupational health and safety laws in the world. And I mean, like, if, if you mop a floor and you don't have a sign out and someone slips, you are gone. Like, they are very stringent. So I took comfort in the fact that knowing that they must have done risk assessment because if 
one of my staff would have contracted and give it to a, an older relative or something and they would have passed away. The compensation claim would be mm. astronomical. And I'm talking millions of dollars. Not that that replaces a loss of life for someone who gets seriously ill, but what it means is that they would have had to have thought about whether or not that's something that they can actually, you know, okay, this is a real risk, this can actually happen. And if it does, so once I assessed and I made it a look at, I sat down, looked at the facts that we're in Canberra, we only had like 60 cases and I think we had a hundred maximum. And at the moment, I think we don't have any. It's theoretically, it doesn't exist here anymore. Based on that data, that science, that fact, well, I made a decision that um, if we can adhere to the safety measures, I mean, you know, I've got, I've got a wife who's had cancer with a compromised immune system. I've got a 10 year old daughter, both my mum and dad are in their seventies. I ain't coming to work if I don't think it's safe. You just have to trust the process. And I've always done that in business. So that doesn't mean that it couldn't have blew up on me and it couldn't have gone right. So based on all that, I, I just had to make a risk assessment. Like, and, and that's what yeah. it is. Like the risk of me closing my salon, it just, it wasn't something I could do. Like I looked in the face of my staff and they're scared and I've got to try and be brave. It's like, I'm scared too, but I'm not an expert. I can't just say I'm closing because an next person is or everyone else is closed. I'm like, I, I, I can't do that. Like I can't just like the, I think it was like only two days before um, Aaron, one of our seniors, he signed his mortgage papers. Like the guy, the guy clears 1500 a week after tax. I can't put him on 1500. Well, no, it would have been 550. That's like, because we didn't have any welfare at that time. The government hadn't even released any uh, stimulus. So look, it's, it's yeah, been I hard, think, but I think you're right. Though, you know, me, I'm just trying to like, I'll, I'll summarize by saying this. I've been through some pretty shit things in my life. Excuse my French some really hard times, especially with my wife and her health. This has been my safe place. No matter what ha is happening out there, when I come in here, I forget about the world. And I said it to the guys, if you don't feel safe, you don't have to come to work. But at the moment, there's no welfare for you. So what I want you to do is just resign. I'll issue with a letter of intent to re-employ you as soon as you feel comfortable and I'll pay out your holidays so that you're not left there in the lurch. But I've got to keep, I've got to keep trading. I don't have the luxury of closing, I just don't. Now, then they released the stimulus measures and all that. It might have been different, but at that point, I had to make a decision on what was available yeah. at that time. Uh, and a couple of the guys chose to take a week, a week leave without pay. And then we all came back and we had a meeting. We all had a big chat about it. And we just uh, you went. pushed on with it. And um, I don't know if it was the right thing or not. But at the moment, uh, I have a client who works at Comcare Australia, which is the people who look after people claiming that they've been injured or hurt in Australian workplaces, not been one reported case of someone contracting or transmitting um, COVID-19 in any hair salon that she knows of or any government department or any other small business. So that doesn't mean that they don't have reports coming in, but that's just in the ACT. That's not in Australia. Yep. So I guess it's easy Look, to gamble I... when, when you know who's going to win, but I wasn't really gambling. Yeah. I was making a decision based on fact. Yeah, I think you're right. You've got to make uh, the, the best educated guess given your uh, own circumstances. I think what's what's smart about what you've done is you've made a decision, you've stuck with it, and you've pushed forward, and you just you, you deal with it. Deal with it. I think the anxiety comes for salon owners when they're stuck in indecision and they can't decide, and they're taking on the pressure for from the team and all the things, and and lots of people are stressed out. What's the right thing to do? Should I? Should I? Should I not? And I think. Uh, I think what's potentially been a saving grace for you or for those that aren't feeling the pressure like that, just make a decision 
step forward and, and go forward and do the best that you can with that yep. and move on to what's next. Cause if we stay in the hole, so to speak, it's really hard to climb out. Yeah. yeah. And that's, and that's what I was worried about. It's like three weeks closed having to pay my staff because they wouldn't be eligible for any welfare and not trading. I mean, that's, that's, that's going to take 12 and 18 months to recover from. So, yeah. however, I will say to those people who were living in other parts of Australia, I've, very close friends that had salons in Bondi and they did choose to close. And I have to say, if I was there, I probably would have too. Yeah. Because yeah. There were parts of Australia where people weren't being responsible and yeah. they weren't doing the right thing. And one of my, one of my colleagues told me of a lady who came in the salon and had a hair done and actually said that she just got back from India four days ago. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, what? <laughs> like you meant to be in isolation because some people just didn't want to do the right thing. They didn't care. No, so bowls right. in areas where there were like clusters and pockets of people with like large amounts of spread, my decisions would have been very, very different. So I guess for I'm, sure. I'm, 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 uh, I, I'm fortunate for the circumstances and the place that we are. So people yep. say Canberra yep. is a political bubble and the bubble definitely gave us the ability to make decisions and make choices that other people in Australia just couldn't. And I'm actually grateful for that. And I feel a bit lucky and fortunate. I want to ask you now um, to tell us and give us some insight into Aftermath. Uh, what was the seed? What was the idea? How did it come about? Uh, and for those that don't know anything about it, do you want to just kind of give us a little bit of a backstory? Yeah, so I was in, uh, I was in ISO and um, one of the good things being in isolation is um, people call you and, you know, keep your company on the phone, Zoom, things like this. And, um, one of the people who, in all honesty, I actually didn't expect to call me every day, did call me every day, is a man named Kobe Boxish, who was a beautiful human. And um, he'd call me every day, he'd call me, hey, cha-cha, how you feeling? What's happening? Oh, you started drinking beer yet? <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah, thanks, no, Kobe, I'm good, man. And he'd call me every day. And then um, we'd often have conversations about, you know, how I was feeling because mentally I wasn't in a very good place. Like, I was like, I felt completely helpless because my team's getting smashed in the salon and I can't literally leave the house. I've been away for two weeks. I hadn't seen my wife and my daughter and I had still another 11 or 12 days to go. Um, I was uh, just at home with the puppy and the beer was running out of the fridge. I was making pizzas by like every day I was cooking pizza. And look, I, I wasn't in a good place and he was sort of keeping me going. And I was like, <clears throat> there's so many people out there and I'm not one to have self-pity, but so many people out there doing it worse off than, than me. And I, I just think that if I just had a healthy distraction, um, everything would be fine. So I, I was one of the other guys that was calling me was Peter from Excellent Edges and Pete called me up. I said, mate, can you do me a favor? I said, can you just send me up some mannequin heads? He's like, yeah, why? And I go, I'm just gonna do some, cut some hair on outside on my uh, alfresco in my outdoor area. And I said, and I'll film them, I'll put them on YouTube and, and I'll say that you sent the, you know, the head to me and, you know, give you a plug. He's like, no, no, you don't have to do that. I'll send you some. So he sent me some. So I started doing some hair and I'm like, that's it. I said, you know what I need to do? I need to create a group that has, that, that, that attracts people to it every day that are in isolation to give them a healthy distraction. Because if you watch the TV every day and you just go on Facebook and you're watching the, mate, it, you think that you literally thought there for, for a week or so, the world was literally coming to an end. And even me, I was just like, frazzled. <laughs> yep. So anyway, I was like, I'm in R and do I do it? Anyway, I spoke speaking to Kobe and then Kobe says to me, he goes, it was about five o'clock on a Friday, he goes, mate, I'm I'm gonna um I'm gonna make an announcement on Facebook tonight about why I closed and he goes, I'm sick of people fighting 
our industry's having a civil war, which is what we spoke about. Like, it's almost like the industry was at war and, and uh, people were, you know, people were just, um, you know, I can't believe you're open. That's anti-competitive. You're choosing wealth before health. And then people, people were saying, oh, well, if you close, like, you know, it was, it was horrible. So he's like, and I'm going to address all that and tell people to respect each other's decisions. And I'm going to tell them about the group. I go, what group? What, is, what group mm-hmm. are you talking about? He goes, the aftermath group. I'm like, I haven't done it. He goes, well, how long does it take? I go, well, when are you doing this video? He said, tonight at seven. I'm like, it's five. So I literally had five, uh, you know, like two hours to get it going. And we started uh, aftermath. And um, it was literally just for us to post a few videos and, and give people a healthy distraction. Never in my wildest dreams that I think a month later it would be 12,000 people. We have had, we've had a... Um, literally some of the best hairdressers on the planet offer their time we've just uh, last night announced our first award platform which is the aftermath uh, uh hair education the tribe awards for 2020 which is going to allow people to get a mannequin head and uh, use their cell phones just to like um have an awards platform like that um which is pretty exciting and uh we've we've been flooded with probably twenty thousand dollars worth of donations in prizes actually probably a little bit more um so, yeah, I, I think it's, I don't know what it's going to evolve to, but it's definitely um, a help. Like you see people who have made comments about, like, this is the only thing keeping me sane. You know, we're, we're, we're practicing our skills. They're telling their staff to do it at home. You know, we've, we've, we've got people to be able to visit to a point where we're having, I think, uh, 61% of our members visit the, the, the group for at least an hour a day. Like, that's wow. huge. So we've yeah. given them a healthy distraction. So it, that's how it started. It's just like, I just wanted to be able to engage in people and, and, and give them a platform to share what they do, share who they are. Um, it's brand neutral. You know, we've had, we've had apprentices from New Zealand. We've had, uh, you know, uh, people like um, Johnny Athon from um, Allion, uh, who's the director of Davines. We've got, uh, you know, Ricky Zito's been on there, Mila Belova. We've had a, uh, the incredible Australian artists, uh, Lyndall Salmon, uh, Philip Barwick, Richard Kavanagh, Steve English, like the people have just like been able to just pour their hearts out and just say, yeah, I'm happy to create content and people are benefiting from it. So I, I think it's a good thing. And people out there might think that I had an agenda, but if they, if they actually knew, knew who I was and they rewind to the beginning of this uh, video cast or podcast, I'll already hear me say it is, I created my YouTube channel because people in places of the world who couldn't access education, who weren't as fortunate as me, needed education. That's why I did it. And this is the same. There's people who are in far worse situations than you or I, and they need to remember the reason why they became a hairdresser. And that's because, you know, the, the community that shares and gives and brings us together and, you know, being selfless and helping each other out. And Aftermath is, is, is a group that's powered by hairdressers for hairdressers. It has no face. It can be anybody's face. It doesn't have an identity. It's not about one particular person. Um, and uh, hopefully it grows into something that is a, you know, a, a beneficial, purposeful resource for many people for years to come because um, where it's going to go from here, Rhys, I have no idea. It's, um, but yeah. so far, the, the support's been, it's actually been quite overwhelming. It makes me get a little bit emotional because I started to lose faith there when I saw people sort of going at each other. And then I'm like, this is the industry I remember because it's in the yeah. giving that we receive, right? So it's been really yeah. good. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I know it's it's kept a lot of owners sane because it's a resource that they can send their team. 
that are employed, not employed, confused about where they're at, and they have a resource to go to, it pulls them together, something to converse about. So um, I know it's been well received uh, for sure. So I'm really excited to see what it evolves to uh, post COVID, although I'm sure post COVID. Like <laughs> <laughs> I, I suspect I've it'll be worth. Sleep. I've been, I've been, you can tell I've been staying up to like three, four in the morning. Yeah, I know worth that it's worth yeah exactly it's worth the effort all right um as an inspirational business owner and a forward thinker tell me what is a a quote or a mantra or something that kind of keeps you going or keeps you looking forward and keeps you sane uh what's something you can share with us there's two things in business that I always tell people well three things one that I tell young hairdressers is showing up to work and doing your job and doing the things that you asked and doing them to the best of your ability justifies you being employed and paid. It's what you do between when you walk out the salon door and fall asleep at night that makes you great. The second thing is, is in business, not every day can be a diamond. Some days just an ordinary stone. You just have to accept that. That's just how life is. And last but not least, you're getting, you're getting business what you advertise for. That simple. I love it. Those are great and unexpected. Very, very good. All right, tell us what is, outside of uh, Aftermath, of course, what is uh, a book, a podcast, or someone that you follow that uh, owners and stylists alike should uh, get amongst? Who can um, you recommend? The Hair Game. The Hair Game with um, um, Eric Taylor. He's yep. um, in the US. And also Christina Russell. Um, she has um, also got a great podcast going where, very similar to you, actually. I, I listened to a couple of yours just yesterday. Um, it's very diverse of people they've got on there. And um, I think that um, uh, they're probably the three now that I listen to. And I, I'm more of a, I'm actually like a silence in the car guy. Like I actually don't put any music or the radio on or anything on at all. But I actually started to listen to these. Outside of hairdressing, I think that if you're a young person who wants to get ahead and um, wants someone to tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear, there's a man named Gary V, Gary Vaynerchuk. He's very direct about business and about social media and about what it is you actually, he basically says that you have to be prepared to eat dirt and actually enjoy its taste. And then once you can do that, then you actually will start to get yourself on the right path. So he's, um, he's sometimes quite, uh, he uses a lot of profanity and he's very direct, but sometimes I've listened to the things I'm like, ouch, that hurts because it's true. That's what I'm doing. You know, like it's, it's good. So um, they, they would be the ones that I would listen to. Great, fantastic. We will link them up in the show notes to this. So thank you for giving uh, your time to us. Pleasure. And uh, it's been a really interesting chat. So thanks again. And uh, we'll have to have you back and have a catch up on uh, what new developments come what may. Anytime I'm available, that's fine. I'd love awesome. to come back. Thanks, Reese. Great. Thanks, Adam. And that's a wrap. Thanks so much, Adam, for joining me today. I think it's, you know, it's so vital in the current climate, actually at any time, that we really respect everybody's choices and to refrain from judging those whose situations are different from ours. And I really loved our open and honest chat about that today. I mean, everybody's situation is different and are forced to make different, different uh, choices given those uh, circumstances. So I think we can all learn something from Adam's approach and to his work and his success. And uh, certainly, certainly it was a motivating chat for sure. All right. 
thanks anyway for joining me again this week be sure to jump over to the salon owners collective facebook group and we'll continue the conversation there and otherwise i look forward to connecting with you next week thanks for joining me on another episode of the podcast tune in every week as i reveal the latest insights and advice on what it takes to truly master your inner salon ceo and master your salon success Subscribe to the Salon Owners Collective podcast on iTunes or Spotify or visit us online at www.salonownerscollective.com. But make sure to join me in my Facebook group for answers to common questions and much, much more. Thanks for listening and I look forward to tuning in with you again next week.